Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Your, uh, your caboose, milady. You may kiss my hand. Hmm. Hey. Hey, Mary. As I was lumbering down the street, down the street, down the street. Okay, then I'll throw a rock at the old Granville house. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. No, you see, you make a wish and then try and break some glass in. You've got to be a pretty good shot nowadays, too. too. Oh, no, oh, George, don't. It's full of romance, that old place. I'd like to live in it. In that place? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. It's right in the second floor there, see? What'd you wish, George? Well, not just one wish, a whole hatful. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? tonight can't you come out tonight? Sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, in fact, probably most of the time, we lose sight of what we have, wishing for what we don't. Looking for something that's out there, something that's just almost within our grasp, maybe just a year down the road, just five years down the road, we'll be able to X, Y, or Z, you fill in the blank. And while there is, there is nothing at all wrong or nothing evil, nothing unbiblical with wanting a better life, wanting something better for yourself, oftentimes in doing that, we miss the very things God's blessed us with today. We miss seeing that. Um, we, we put gratitude on hold, put gratitude on a shelf because... There is this constant drive for something better, for something more, for something deeper, for something further. And in a spiritual sense, that's a great thing, to, to long for the things we've not experienced before, to know the things we've not known before, to walk the places we've never walked before. In a carnal sense, that can get really dangerous. In a flesh, fleshly sense, in a, in a cultural sense, that can get really dangerous because we, we easily, and, and I think our culture has, and is, and is still in the process of doing this, and is still... I think happening in the church and within the kingdom, we're losing sight of the things God has given us in view of the things that we want or need, sometimes even good things. And the danger in that is that we lose sight of, of, of the very God who's blessed us with it. Yes, we lose sight of those blessings themselves, but the, as I said, the, the more hidden problem is we lose sight of the one from which they came and who has blessed us with well, good grief. If I open the floor for blessings of, of what's God done for you in your life, we could spend probably the next several hours here saying, well, he's done this for me and he's done this for me because I know some of your stories of God's healed this and he's, he's restored this and he's brought this back together. And so, uh, and he's done that for all of us. And I fear sometimes, and it's, and as I say, as I often say, this is how the enemy works. He's, he's always incremental. 
I fear sometimes that he, he says, you know what, that's okay, just lock that away. It's God, God was good there, but God was good there. And he just locks that, we lock that away. We put that in a vault somewhere. When a difficulty comes into our life, though, and we need to remember how good God's been to us, he wants to keep that in the vault. He wants to keep that locked away to where we don't remember that. We, can, we can't, can't see that, can't put our, our, our minds, our arms, our hands around it. And then here we're, here we're faced with a, with a hard situation and our inability then to see God in the middle of all of that. Why? Because we've lost a sense of what he's done already. We've lost a sense of, of gratitude. So uh, I pose this question to you in, in this week's e-news. Is, grati- is gratitude an attitude or is it an action? Is it something, is, is it a state of mind or is it something we do? Let's let the scripture answer that for us today. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in four different passages looking at four different aspects of this idea of gratitude, of practicing gratitude. Hebrews chapter 12, the first passage we'll look together is verses 28 and 29 of Hebrews 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Practicing gratitude as worship. Will help us see this. Why? Because he says to be thankful. Therefore, since we're receiving the kingdom, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. What is acceptable to him? Well, he goes on to say the next phrase, with reverence and awe. That's what he views as acceptable worship. So what does reverence look like? Reverence looks like our, our seeing him in light of his holiness and in light of his power. In fact, um, Back up a few verses to, to, to in, in chapter 12. This is not, won't be on the screen, by the way, but back up a few verses to verse 9 of Hebrews 12. It says, Moreover, we have all had human parents who disciplined us as we respect, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our parents disciplined us for a little while as they saw, thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share, watch this, in His holiness. That we may share in his holiness. That's the purpose for discipline. That's the purpose for a hard place. That's the purpose for a lesson. So that we may share in his holiness, he says. So holiness here, as as we see in in verses 9, 10, 11, holiness is both a process and a product. Holiness is something that we go through, that we walk through, that we we achieve and are are moving toward as a result of discipline, as a result of a hard place, as a result of difficult circumstances. It's a process we're walking through, but there is an end result as well. There's there's an end product of holiness. And he says, like him, that he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He is the one who is the source and the, 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 the reservoir of holiness, if you will, that he pours into us by our own discipline, by our own perseverance. We'll see that in just a moment from another passage. But this idea of our, of our receiving holiness from him, him being the, 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 or, the originator of holiness, it's, it is both a process and a product. It's a process we go through to get to an end result of our looking holy, our acting holy, our thinking holy, like he does. So, in fact, turn back to chapter 1 of Hebrews. Uh, this won't be on the screen either. Uh, another good little parallel couple of verses here. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 3 says, In the past God spoke to, to our ancestors, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He, he, he is the one by which creation got its, got its start and its, its direction. So 
Here's this idea of, of acceptable worship. What is it? It is worshiping with reverence. That looks like holiness. That looks like an attitude of holiness. It is also worshiping with awe, he says here in, in, in Hebrews 12. Work to worship him in reverence and to worship him in awe. In awe of the very one, he says here in chapter 1, that was at creation and fashioned creation. We see this later on in Hebrews where God spoke, Hebrews chapter 3, God spoke creation into existence by his very word, and Jesus himself fashioned it into form. He gave color its color. He gave things that have shape their shape. God spoke those things into existence. There was nothing there. God spoke, then there was something. And Jesus is the designer, the fashioner of all creation. So the colors that you see in the fall, God spoke those into existence. Jesus made the colors by hand on every tree. He's the designer of all that. He's he's the one with the power to bring all of that about, he says here in chapter 1. So that's the person you and I should be awe-stricken by when we come to worship. When we come together as a body, to assemble together as a body, to worship God, there should be a sense of reverence, the fact that he is holy and we aren't. <laughs> and I need to be reminded of that often. I am reminded of that often as, as I stand to lead you in worship. As I stand to worship, as Rick leads us in worship, I'm reminded he's a holy God and I'm in a holy place and I'm an unholy God. What's wrong with this picture? I need to move more toward holiness is what's wrong with this picture. I need to be aware of his reverence, be aware of his holiness and revere that in front of him and before him. Reverence and awe. So what should all look like? As we worship him. Well, according to chapter 1, he is the power behind creation, the sustainer of creation, he says as well. The creator and sustainer. The one who sustains, keeps the, keeps the planets in orbit, who keeps the, the earth spinning around the sun. He's the one who sustains all of that. Who makes the sun come up in the morning. Who makes the seasons that we're going into a new season now. He's the sustainer of all of that, he says. And so he is, that is the one we should be in awe of. The one who has the power to create and the power to sustain. I don't know the last time you were awed by God in worship or what that looked like. Hopefully it's this morning. I don't know the last time you were awed, but whenever you were awed, that's the thing we need to look for and reclaim every time we come to worship him. Why? Because he is an awesome God. And we should be in awe before him, before his holiness, before his power, before the one, as I said, who spoke us into existence, spoke creation into existence, who put us in our mother's womb, Psalm 139 says. It says here that he, he, he overtakes us. He describes here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12 himself as a consuming fire. Now, when you see God in that light, when you see him, when you come to, to worship here on Sundays and you see him in that light, when I see him in that light, I don't know how you feel, but it makes me want to hide someplace. When I see God as a consuming fire and I see my unholiness, um, I see myself as unworthy to be in the presence of a holy God. I had somebody ask me years ago, Tim, you led worship for a lot of years. What, what, is, what is the ideal worship scene you'd, like, you'd love to see the church involved in? And I said, to me, it just looks like obedience, whatever obedience is for that individual. And it's going to be different person to person based on where we are that day, where we are in life, where we are spiritually. I said, I would love to look out on a, on a group of worshiping people and see some guy singing out loud, as, as loud as he can, off key, and doesn't care a rip about who hears, who hears him. Because it's to God, and he knows he's in the presence of God. It's not to, to each other. So to see another with, with, in, in tears before their Lord with their hands raised. To see another uh, uh, with, seated with their, with their face in their hands in the fact that they're, they're in the presence of a holy God. and they're not. See another one flat out on the ground. And if they could get lower than that, they'd, they'd get lower than that because they know they're in the, in, in the presence of a consuming fire. They're in the presence of a God who can annihilate them at the, at the drop of the hat, yet chooses not to. Chooses to invite us into a holy place. That's why the veil was torn at the cross. 
to invite us into a holy place to say where I am and what I'm experiencing, you can too. Now, I don't know what it takes to get your vision awestruck before him, but that's the vision we need to seek as we come to worship him. As, as we, as if we worship with a sense of gratitude and worship with a sense of awe and worship with a sense of reverence, um, it will overtake us. John, all throughout Revelation says, and I believe he said this for a reason, I looked and I saw, and then another passage, I looked and I saw, there must be 30 times, probably more, I didn't count them, but I read at least that many, in Revelation, where it's just, and I looked and I saw, meaning I can't make this up. <laughs> I mean, there, there are, here, are the, here are the four living creatures around the throne of God, and here's the smoke coming up. And he says, I, I can't make this up. What is he saying? I looked and saw this. This was, this, was, this was the revelation of God to me. I saw these very things with my very eyes. I physically saw this. I was transported to a place where my eyes saw the glory of God. It saw the throne of God. I'm not making this up. It didn't hyperbole. I'm not trying to be poetic. These are the things that I saw. I, I, I'm not good enough to think of this, he says, in essence. This is what I saw. These are the things I want you to see that I saw myself. What's he saying? He's saying when you, when, you, when, you, when you can get your mind's eye around this scene of God's holiness and his glory, it ought to move you. It ought to, there ought to be a sense of awe that you, you feel like, I can't approach that. How, how do I get close to that? And so there's, there, there should be this sense of reverence as we see and seek God's holiness. There should be this sense of our being awestruck in his presence because we see him as a consuming fire. We see him as the one who, is, who has the authority. So... Practicing gratitude is worship. What does your worship look like? Does it look anything like that at all? If it doesn't, it needs to change. And it will change as we, we have a deeper sense of gratitude of who God, the very God we've come to worship, of who he is, what he wants to do in us today and in our life. We'll worship from a greater sense of a heart of gratitude in seeing him in that way. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to see this next, this next way of practicing gratitude as an attraction. Practicing gratitude as an attra- attraction. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15 says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who who are perishing. Thanks be to God, he says. Why? That we should be an aroma of him to, the, to, to our culture, to our friends, to the world in which God's placed us. This pleasing aroma of Christ is what he's looking for. Um, many of you guys know Earl Cup, know, know Pilkey, and uh, had the opportunity to preach his funeral a, a couple of months or a month, I guess, or so ago. And Pilkey and I had a kind of a running argument. And the running argument was that, as a cigar smoker, that, that cigar smoke smelled better than the smoke that came out of Roman Haas, where he used to work for so many years. And I, you know, he would he would always give me, uh, would rail at me about how bad cigar smoke smelled. And he smoked cigarettes for years, but he would rail, rail at me about how how bad cigar smoke. I said, man, that's nothing about the smell like the smell that comes out of Roman Haas. He said, Roman Haas doesn't have a smell. The air that comes out of Roman Haas around it's cleaner than the air that's, that's around us. What world did you grow up in? Are you, have you ever driven by there and rolled your windows down? My dad had a store on 17th Street by Roman Haas. And, and in the summers, I would drive by there every day. If you had your window down, you could smell Roman Haas from blocks away. I said, what, 
what alternative universe are you living in that you can't smell Roman hot, the smell of Roman hot? Oh, it doesn't smell. Well, the lesson there is perspective is a powerful thing. If you smelled it all the time, you don't smell it. If you've been around it all the time, you don't see it anymore. And so what he's saying here is, is this idea of our being a fragrance is our being attractive to others with the gospel. And if we've been around, if our environment is that we don't see that anymore, we don't notice that anymore, in fact, we smell as bad as the people around us, figuratively speaking, we don't see the, the, the need and the, and the call and the desire to be a fragrance of Christ in a world that needs to smell him better, in a world that needs to have a greater fragrance of him, in a world that needs to see him through the lens of your life and my life. And that's exactly what he's talking about here in this passage. Uh, it, 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 so here's the lesson. If we hang around and have gotten used to cynical people, and you know those kind of people. They're in your world. They're in my world. They're in all of our world. If you hang around and you're used to cynical people all the time, guess what? You're going to probably grow pretty cynical yourself. You don't mean to. You don't plan to. But it just happens. When you grow up around cynicism, that everything's, the glass is always half empty. Always half empty. And there's something always wrong with this. Something always wrong with that. If you grow up with that sense of, or around and, and by choice to continue to stay there, around that sense of cynicism in those kind of relationships, you're, you're going to grow to be that way yourself. You're going to be a cynical person yourself. So we are, you know, they were saying years ago in the 60s, you are what you eat. You are who you hang around. Your mom was right in the fact that you need to choose your friends wisely. You hang around, you're going to be like the people you hang around, and, and they you to a certain extent. So we're going to be cynical ourselves if we hang around cynical people. However, when we hang around folks with an attitude of gratitude, hang around people that are grateful for what they have, for who, they, who they've become, for what, is, what God has done in their life, that's going to rub off on us as well, and us to them as well. And I think that's exactly what he's talking about here, to say thanks be to God that this opportunity to be a fragrance in our world exists in life after life after life after life. And we should, we should live with a sense of gratitude in, in, in realizing God has called me in this time and place to be exactly where I am, exactly at this time, for this reason, to be a fragrance of Christ there. He's called me to be a fragrance of Christ where I work, in the home where I, where I, where I live, in the, in the, in the, with the friends at the ballpark, or wherever I go. He's called me to be a fragrance of Christ and to leave an aroma that looks and smells and sounds and, and is like him. So the question I have is, what does a room smell like after you've left? When you leave a room, are people kind of, glad he's gone. Or where did, what happened to so-and-so? Where did they, is, there, is there a sense that, you, that, that your, your presence is welcome to people or that it's, hey, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Is there, is there this sense that, 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 that you are a fragrant aroma in every, every environment you go into, in every circumstance you have? Is that the aroma you leave of Christ? Or are we leaving an aroma of something else? Are we leave an aroma of cynicism, an aroma of, of eh, you know. Yeah, I used to, I used to experience the goodness of God. I used to experience the blessings of God. That, that joy train went down the track a long time ago. It's never coming back. If we live with that sense of cynicism, guess what? You know, you know who it, it affects? It affects your friends. It affects your kids. It affects your spouse. It affects every arena we live in if we are living with that sense of cynicism. However, if our aroma is the aroma of Christ, when we leave a room, people are going to miss it. When we, leave a, when we leave a setting of people, they're going to miss that sense of of of, and you've been around those people. You, there, there, there are people like that probably in your life on both ends of the spectrum. You're glad to see them go most of the time, some of them, when they leave. And some others, you're thinking, man, I miss being with you. And I miss hanging around you. There, there, there's a sense of, of you're making me better. 
and I, of my seeing things in your life that I want to be like, that I want to model, that I want to uh, learn how to, how to live that way or think that way or operate that way. And so he's saying those, those are the things we should seek to, to, to be and do and, and, and the ways to live in our culture such that the aroma that we leave is a Christ-like aroma around us. And so what do you smell like? <laughs> what does the room look like after you've left? What kind of smells left there behind you? should be the aroma of Christ. That should be an attractive thing. Uh, that's this whole idea of, of living an authentic, biblical, and contagious faith. If we're living a contagious faith, the aroma of Christ is going to come behind us. It's going to follow us everywhere we go. Thirdly, not only should we practice gratitude <clears throat> as worship and as an attraction, turn to second, uh, First Thessalonians sorry, uh, chapter 5, we should practice gratitude as an example. Here's where the, we move from, from gratitude being an attitude and we look at gratitude being an action. Practicing gratitude as an example. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 to 18, join together with me. As we urge you, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, in every circumstance. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Do we give thanks because of our circumstances? No, that's not what he's calling us to do. We give thanks regardless of our circumstance. We give thanks in spite of our, of our circumstance. We don't thank God that, I don't know of anybody that's, 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 that's this spiritual, and I've known a lot of spiritual people in my life. I don't know about anybody spiritual. I'm saying, God, thank you for this, for this hardship. Thank you for this kidney stone I got. Thank you for, no, we don't thank him for the hardship. We thank him that he is good in spite of the hardship. We thank him that he is God in the midst of a hard place. Why? Because as we see here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's a process of refinement. As you encourage each other, as you, as you, as you, as you admonish each other, and that, that literally means to, 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 to come alongside, to, 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 to see the fact that, that others around us need our encouragement, need our push, need our prod, and, and us theirs from time to time. So he's saying that as, as we live with this sense of example of, of gratitude, that, that is going to be a regardless of circumstances gratitude. It's going to be a regardless of my life situation gratitude. Now, is that hard? Yes, it's hard. And it, it, it behooves a measure of maturity in us that most believers don't have. You know why? Because I see person after person after person blaming God for their circumstances, and God never brought that on. Sometimes our circumstances are the, are the direct result of decisions we make. Decisions have consequences. God allows the consequence to occur to teach us a lesson. So does, is, by that token, does God allow the circumstances? Yes, he does. Does he cause the circumstances? Maybe not all, all the time, but he certainly is aware of them and, uh, and allows them. Why? To teach us something about himself, to push us more closely to, uh, uh, in, in tune with him. And it, it amazes me why believer after believer says, you know what? As soon as I get beyond these circumstances, I'm going to get back serious with God again. And I'm going to get back in the scripture. I'm going to start worshiping more intimate with him again. I'm going to get back in church again. I'm going to get plugged into a small group again. As soon as my life gets straightened out, as soon as my circumstances get, you know where that comes from? Straight from hell. should smell like smoke to you. There should be this sense of, wait a minute now. If God has called me to, to, to be thankful and grateful to him regardless of my circumstances, and that's, that's true. We're going to see this again in just a moment in another passage. If he's called me to be thankful and grateful in spite of my circumstances, regardless of my circumstances, 
then they are a means to a more glorified end. They are a means to a more holy end. They are a means to understanding him more deeply than I have before. And if that's the case, while I don't go chasing them, I certainly don't run from them. If the process of going through them refines me to make me look more like him on the backside than I did on the front side. Do I go chasing bad circumstances and hard places? No, I don't. But I don't run from them anymore. I realize God's got a design to this. His design is for me to look more like him at the end than at the beginning. And if I see that, if I've been through, if I've been down that road a time or two, and I see that's how God works. Though I don't welcome hardship, I don't run from it either because I see the end result of it is looking more like him. And that's exactly what he wants. So, regardless of our circumstances, gratitude in the life of a believer should not be cyclical. It should be the constant. And, and, and we are praising God when it's good, cursing God when it's bad, <laughs> praising God when it's good. God, where are you when it's bad? Yes, I feel you up here. Where'd you go down here? And God's not gone anywhere. He's in the middle of, of every cycle to say, you're at the bottom? I'm at the bottom. You're at the top? I'm at the top. You're on the way down? I'm on the way down. On the way up? I'm on the way up. I didn't bring this about. I brought this on to work with you to help you see a side of me that you've never seen before. And part of the side that you've never seen before is I'm not going anywhere. I haven't left you when it's hard. I haven't walked away when it's difficult. I'm here with you. I'm not going anywhere. And so as we cycle in our, in our, in our walk with him and we cycle in our attitude with him, God's good, God's bad, God's good, God's bad. If we can't live with a sense of gratitude being at the heart of who we are, God's good regardless of my circumstances, not because of them, but regardless of them, God is good. People, it would be hard for us to leave a fragrance that's, that's worthy of, of people smelling and looking and seeing him out of our life. Um, so why should, that, why should that be the case? Because he says here in this passage, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you in Christ Jesus that you should be grateful in every circumstance. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Why? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that you grow to be like him. That's the pattern that we have in him. Really, this entire passage, more or less, is about interaction. Interaction with him, interaction with others. In essence, to see or to say, whatever you see in my life, whether it looks good or bad to you, I'm willing to to give him the glory for it. I'm willing for my circumstances to be a means to a more glorified end of God in my life or through me to you. So it it reminds me of this passage in, in James chapter 1. You've heard this before. It says, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, watch this, produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, watch this, mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what's the purpose of hardship? The purpose of hardship is to move us toward toward maturity to where we get to a point of not lacking anything spiritually in our life. is, Is there a point of spiritual arrival? No, not on this earth. We, we will spiritually arrive when we are in his presence and be instantly glorified. But we can, through difficult circumstances, grow to look more like him to where we're not lacking anything. We're not running from hardship anymore. We see it as a means to a more glorified end so that we're, we're, we're willing to walk through it to say, okay, what's here? And, and why am I here? What do I need to see? God, what do you have to say? If this is to get my attention, you've got it. What are you trying to say to me? And he always speaks through, oftentimes, harder places in your life and in my life than he does through times when things are clicking. That's just the way it works. Why? Because he's got our attention in a hard place. He's got our attention when our health is suffering. He's got our attention when our marriage is, is, is on the rocks. He's got our attention when, when our kids are running like hellions away from God. He's got our attention in those kind of situations. So in, in those situations, he said, I want you to see me. 
I want you to see a side of me. I want you to come close to me. I want you to hear me. And I want you to grow to be more like me, more mature, to where you get to a point of not lacking anything. You get to a point of completeness spiritually, to where you're not, you're not running from these things anymore. You're not running to them either, but you're certainly not running from them because you see them as a means to a more glorified end, my, uh, me out of view. So um, that's, what, that's what hardship is about, and that's why gratitude in the middle of a hard place What's the louder witness? That God is good when things are good or that God is good when things aren't? What's the louder witness in your life? The louder witness is obvious that God's good when things aren't. That's the much more resounding witness because this world would want you, and, and, and justifiably so, to blame. This is the most blaming culture we've ever, I've ever been a part of. Something's got to be, there's got to be, some, something's got to be somebody's fault. And in fact, uh, we're the most litigious culture I've ever seen it ain't over till somebody gets a check. I mean, more or less in our culture. It's somebody's fault and somebody's going to pay. Rather than, could we just be bad people? <laughs> I mean, could there be evil in the world in the, in the hearts of somebody walking inside a school and gunning down a bunch of kids? Could there be that much evil? Well, the answer in this, in this book says, yes, there is evil. And there's a person of evil. And he takes over people's minds and hearts and, and uses them to manipulate them into, into, into our world looking for answers that they'll never get unless they see that God has designed everything that happens. He's got a purpose for everything that happens in you and in me. That's how he works. He wants us to see and live with a sense of gratitude as an example to others to say, listen, regardless of my circumstances, they may be good today. They may not be tomorrow. They weren't five years ago. They may not be 15 years down the road. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of cancer, regardless of divorce, regardless of of a job loss, regardless of my circumstances, God is good. God's good. Why? Why? Because his word says so. Is he good in my circumstances? No, my circumstances doesn't say that at all. Well, how do I know that? I know that because a word that's true and has rang true in my life time after time after time after time. I know that word to be true. That word says he's a God who can be trusted even when things aren't working very well. Why? Because perseverance brings about maturity. Maturity to where we are lacking nothing. That's the kind of God we serve. So that's the kind of example people need to see out of a heart of gratitude regardless of our circumstance. Okay, fourthly, <clears throat> practicing gratitude as worship as an attraction, as an example. Turn to Colossians, if you will, chapter 3. I want you to see about uh, practicing gratitude as a lifestyle. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 15 to 17. says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And be thankful, giving thanks to God the Father. Whatever you do, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In essence, as you teach, he says here, as you admonish, or, or in essence, as you, ch- as you both challenge and encourage, which is what admonishment means, as you worship. In, this, in essence, he's saying, as you do body things, as you do things in the body, these things you do in the body should be a lifestyle. They should be done from a, from a platform and a vantage point of gratitude. Why? Well, that's the, as I said earlier, that's the louder witness God is louder in the valley than he is in the mountaintop. Why? Because people see our circumstances and think we should blame him. When we're still bringing him glory in the middle of a hard place, that's the louder witness. That's the louder message that people get. So 
Uh, he's saying, as you do these body things, do this with, in a spirit and a heart of gratitude. As you do life, in essence, do it gratefully. Do it with a sense of gratitude. Um, what do you have to be grateful for? As you think through the life and as you, as you hopefully, you, you thought, thought through this uh, on Thursday, our, you, know, you got together probably with family and friends on Thursday to sh- share together Thanksgiving. What were you thankful for? Did you have a time where you, you dwelled on that? We, our family, uh, my mom's side of the family all get together for, for lunch on Thanksgiving Day and uh, she was one of eight children and so there's a bunch of, bunch of people there and, and a bunch of their kids and their kids and now their kids um, several generations deep and so uh, pretty good slew of folks and as we get together or as we got together the, the other day uh, uh, and we've done this before uh, we, we'll have a devotion time times time in the word and some prayer before we eat and and uh, my brother Butch was leading that, that the other day and said what just ask folks what are you thankful for and, and as people went out of the room most of which they were thankful for were things that God had done in that last year in their life or or something God had done in their in their family or, or, or you know so and and all great things what my mind kept coming to over and over and over again that I was most grateful for is grace <laughs> I thought man I'm grateful for the, for the mercy of God I'm grateful that I have a God who pours grace in uh, John one seventeen. Grace upon grace upon grace upon a never-ending supply just keeps pouring into our life far beyond what we deserve, for sure, but even sometimes far beyond what we can recognize. The grace of God has sustained us in a hard situation. Well, as, as I thought through that on Thanksgiving, I thought, man, the, the power of grace, it's, it, it fills this room because we're all here as, as a result of the grace of God, both my family and, and this room today as we, as we worship as a church. But we should go back to the, revisit the things we were grateful for. Um, Exodus 16 tells this story about the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt and being out in the, in the wilderness and uh, there being a food shortage. Here's, here's what happens. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they came out of Egypt, been out of Egypt, out of bondage for two months on the move. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, looking for death over what they had now. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You know what they had lost sight of? The fact that they were in Egypt, and they're wanting to go back to Egypt. They had lost sight of the fact that they were in slavery, and now they're free. And they had seen God swallow up the entire army, Pharaoh's entire army, in the Red Sea, look back in the water, toast, they're gone. They had seen God provide deliverance for them. 500 years of captivity, 500 years of slavery, boom, like that, God, God delivers them, just walks them right out of the place. And how easy, that two months into this, now they're... they're, they're, they're <laughs> Their, their memory is so short. It reminds me of our day and time. Their memory is so short. Two months into this, they're, they're blaming God, blaming Aaron, blaming Moses. You brought us out here in the desert to starve. I would rather be back in, back in Egypt. At least we had meat to eat in Egypt. Forgetting the fact that they're free. <laughs> I mean, they were in bondage, in slavery, and now they're free. You and I oftentimes forget, uh, symbolically at least, that we've been freed in Christ. He set us free. Free from the fact that we have to answer and pay for our sin. Free from the fact that we have to even get it all and understand everything because he's in charge and we're not. Free from the fact that, that 
we're responsible in some way for for our life and for our for our works and for our and, and yes there is judgment that's coming but you know what he's going to share with with you and i around the great white throne judgment is your name in this book come on in <laughs> grace applies again over and over and over and over again to the, to the situations where we don't deserve that kind of grace we've forgotten that he's freed us because of because of his enormous grace because of his enormous mercy. We stand here as, as freed individuals that many of us still make a choice to, to want to pursue bondage again and want to go back to Egypt again and say, listen, at least I had some meat to eat in Egypt. I was not out here you know, starving in the desert. Um, we've been set free, and we still choose to live in bondage. Sometimes the bondage is vocational. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes the bondage is marital. Sometimes it's, 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 it's emotional. Sometimes it's mental. And we choose to live and walk in the same bondage day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, when God says, hey, 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 I set you free from that. When you came to me, you had instantaneous and eternal freedom from that. Your choice to walk back into that place of bondage is your own. I'm standing here to say, you're free from that. If you live if you want to live free and act free and know freedom, walk in it. I'm standing here to walk with you in freedom through a hard place. I'm standing here to walk with you in freedom through, through financial difficulty. Standing here to walk with you in freedom through a job loss. Standing here to walk with you in freedom to free you from the bondage of divorce, from the bondage of hurt, from the bondage of, of physical ailments and, and, and illness. I'm standing here to offer you freedom in the middle of that. Why do you allow that to still keep you in bondage? And, and I'm standing here shaking my head as, I, as, I, as I'm trying to see the mind of Christ. I see him shaking his head sometimes and say, come on, really? You're going to walk back and revisit that and allow that to have dominance and a place of preeminence in your life where you've been freed from that. You've been freed from that. You choose to stay there. Um, we, we've, we've forgotten that. We've forgotten what freedom is like because I'm convinced we've forgotten to be grateful for it and to be grateful for what God's done for us to, in, in us to get us there. Um, gratitude as worship, as an attraction, as an example, and as a lifestyle will impact people around us. Uh, living with a sense of gratitude in, in a world filled with entitlement is going to stick out like a sore thumb. Living with a sense of gratitude in a world that, that, that thinks and believes it deserves this kind of life, that kind of house, this kind of marriage, that kind of car, this kind of job, in a world that, that believes it is due that, you know what sticks out? Gratitude. Gratitude looks like a freak in a world of entitlement. That's the louder witness you and I can have in our culture if we can learn to live grateful for what God's given us, grateful for, for the fact that we are in his hand and protected by him and known by him, regardless of what we have materially or physically. Uh, there's, there's great reason to be grateful today. Here's a couple of questions I want to pose to you as we close for you to do with each one of us personally, and that's this. What has God done in your life that you've calloused over being grateful for? What's he done in your life that you've calloused over being grateful for? You were grateful for it at one time. Might have been your marriage, might have been your kids, might have been your vocation, might have been his hand in your life, might have been healing. The healing may have been physical, may have been emotional, may have been mental, may have been financial. What has God done to provide in your life in some way, to, to show up supernaturally in your life, to do something that only God can do that you've forgotten and calloused over. What I want to encourage you to do is to start picking the calluses off 
and, and, and rub that to, to where it's, it's raw again, to where you can sense and know again the fact that wow, God showed up here. He showed up here. He showed up here. Look what he did here. Look what he did here. Look what he's done through the life of this person. Look what he's done through the testimony of that person. Look what he's done through the... And over and over and over again, when we can start to see the things God has done that we've calloused over, we just think, no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to have the God of the universe involved in your life every day. That's a big deal. And for us to somehow uh, minimize that to the the point that it's, eh, if God shows up today, okay. If not, I got this. How dare us look in the face of a, of a sovereign God and say, eh. We should be grateful for what he's done in us, what he's doing around us, what he wants to do through us. Here's another question. Not only what has God done in your life that you've forgotten about, calloused over, who is it in your life that needs to see and hear those things? Who needs to see and hear that the most? Who is it in your life that needs to see and hear from you Here's what God's done for me, and I'm grateful for it. Here's what God can do in you if you'll seek him, if you'll come to him, if you'll pursue him. You'll find him. Here's what he's done in me. Here's what he's done for me. Here's what he'll do in you. Who is it in your life that needs to hear that story? Who is it in your life that needs to hear, you made an impact in my life, and I'm grateful for it. You've been an influence to me, and I'm grateful for it. You've poured into me when I didn't deserve it, and I'm grateful for it. You've shown me something I didn't know before, and I'm grateful for it. You've done this for me out of the goodness of your own heart, and I'm grateful for it. Who, is that, who are those people in your life that maybe this week you need to call up and say or send an email or text and say, listen, I just want to tell you thanks. I'm grateful for your impact, grateful for your influence, grateful for the things God has used you to show me. He's used you to demonstrate to me my, my Christ-likeness or my desire for him is greater than it was before I knew you. Um, who are those people in your life that need to hear that story, need to hear that kind of impact? That should come from a heart that beats with gratitude. It should come from a heart that says, you know what? Regardless of what my day is, what my circumstances are, whether I run out of money before I run out of month, God is good. And, and Emmanuel, God in me, says through me, he is good. And I'm, I'm going to give him the praise he deserves. I'm going to, get to live with a sense of gratitude and a sense of thankfulness in my heart that says, you know what? Regardless of my situation, God can be trusted. Regardless of my problem, God can be leaned on. Regardless of my sickness, he is the healer. Regardless of my, whatever issue there is in my life, I can lean on him. I can trust him. I can know him. I can know that he's going to come through for me. Why? Because he's done it. And he's promises in his word that he's going to do it over and over and over again. Why? Because that's who he is. That's what he does. And we should live from a platform of gratitude because of it. That, as I said a moment ago, that's going to be the loudest, I think one of the loudest witnesses the church can have in our culture is to live grateful instead of live entitled. And, and, and we, we, we're guilty of it in the church. We've become so consumer-driven in the church that if we're not scratching every itch of every person that's walking in the door, we're somehow not doing the job we need to do. And we need to come to church from a standpoint of, listen, I'm grateful to have a church. I'm grateful to have a relationship with God. I'm grateful to have people to worship with. I'm, I'm coming, I'll tell you, I come that way every Sunday. I'm grateful for you that you're here every Sunday. I'm grateful that, that, that minds are hungry enough to dig into this book and say, can this do anything to make, to make my life any different? And the answer to that week after week is yes, 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 and then some. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for what God's doing in the life of our church, but we need to be more grateful as the kingdom. We need to be more grateful of what God's doing in us, what he's doing around us. I will tell you, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the culture of entitlement we live in, 
There's no louder witness than that. We don't have to stand on the street corner with a pair of wingtips and a, and a, and a 15-pound King James Bible and say, repent and turn to Jesus. You know what we need to do? We need to live with a sense of gratitude. You know what that's going to bring about? Tell me about what's, what's going on good in your life. Why do you ask that? Because you, you live with a sense of optimism and, and, and thankfulness that I don't have. And I, Tell me about that. Well, <laughs> it's the result of Christ in me. It's not me. It's God in me. That's a huge, I'm going to tell you, that will open up doors for conversation, for you to share your faith with people like you've never known before, experienced before, if we'll just live grateful in a world that's not. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.